Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church sermon podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. Please remain standing because what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're going to start with prayer this morning. We're going to invite God into the service with us and we're going to allow him to challenge us this morning, challenge us with his word, his message for us today. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming to be with us, for being present in our service this morning. I pray that you will open our hearts and open our minds to what it is you want us to hear today. I pray, Lord, that we'll be challenged Challenge to understand how you can use each and every one of us here for your glory, for your kingdom. We love you, God, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. I invite you to find your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 9. That's going to be the first of three key passages that we're going to look at this morning. So as you're turning there, have you ever been asked, what are you doing for God? Then as you're standing there stammering to try to figure out what you're going to say to that, you think, well, you know what, I'm not like that rich guy, or I'm not like the friendly guy, I'm not like that healthy guy, I'm not like the nice-looking guy, I'm not like the young guy, I'm not like that popular guy, I'm not like the gifted guy, I'm not like the bald guy, no, the bold guy, not bald guy, I'm not like the persevering guy, I'm not like whatever it is that you think that you're not like. But really, when we look at those statements, what is the problem with all of those statements? The most obvious answer is what? It's a preoccupation with one's self. What you're doing is you're making it all about you in that moment. All about what you think you can or cannot do. Look, it doesn't matter if you're like any of those guys that I listed there. Or if you're anything like me who's not like any of those guys that's listed there. Though so many of us, we think those things have to happen But understand that list, it is not a criteria that God uses to determine if we can be used by Him. God's not looking for a few good men, a few men with special character traits. It's not your personality, it's not your wit, it's not your money. That's not what God needs out of you. That's not how it works in God's world. God's not looking for qualified men and women to use. I'm not even sure that we could define what qualified would mean in the sense that you have to possess either this or that to be used by God. There's a saying I like to use all the time, the way I like to teach it is this. It's God's not interested in your ability, but God, he's more interested in your availability. God's looking for humble men and women. He's looking for servants willing to do whatever he's asking them to do, whose main goal is to make his name great. So our question today is, can God use me? Can he use you? Can he use all of us, any of us? The basic answer is pretty simple. Yes. Yes, he can. And he will use you if, if you will let him. You're a unique person. And understand, God has called you, or he will be calling you, to do a unique job for him within his kingdom work. God will use your uniquenesses. He will even use your failures and your weakness to accomplish his purpose. 
God's empowering grace. Understand, it is greater than your weakness. It is greater than your failures. It's greater than any sin you have ever committed. God's ability to trump your mistakes is greater than your ability to make those mistakes. Listen, friends, if you struggle with shyness, God can use you. If you struggle with anxiety, God can use you. If you struggle with being a boring person, having a boring personality, God can use you. If you struggle with being poor, God can use you. If you struggle with gift limitations, understand God can use you. If you're not good looking like me, I understand, I, I model this, God can still use you. If you're not a gifted speaker, okay, now you're really talking about me, right? God, he can still use you. It may be that you just need to grow or you need to mature regarding some of those conditions that we went through. Unless you have that good looking or that speaking problem that I have. And then I'm afraid there's, there's no known cure. So sorry. Church, don't ever think, don't ever believe that there's a special place that you must arrive at before you can be used by God. Because if you do, what's going to happen is you're most likely going to be sitting there, sitting on the sidelines for a long, long time, waiting to qualify yourself to play God's game of life. Understand, you're qualified today. You're qualified to live for God, to walk with God, to serve God, to make His name wonderful, His wonderful name great within your little sphere of influence, where you live, where you work, where you play, where you go. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three heroes of the faith. Heroes of the faith that were, let's just say they were insecure, they were imperfect, and they were very unlikely people, participants in God's plan, as we're going to look at Moses, Rahab, and Paul. We're going to start out this morning looking at under number one, how God uses the insecure. In Exodus, we read about the dramatic story of a man named Moses. He was called to work for God. When God needed to get his attention, does anybody remember what God did to get Moses' attention? It was the burning bush, right? He had a bush and he put the bush on fire. The bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't really burning as we would call that. I surely bet that that got Moses' attention at that point. Let's eavesdrop on the conversation that happened that day between Moses and God. Because I think it gives us some clues into how God, how he can use each and every one of us here this morning. Look at it with me. We're going to start reading in Exodus chapter 3 verse 9. It says, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? What shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Look at how Moses responded here, okay? Exodus chapter 4 verse 1. He said, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then we jump down to Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses adds on this, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow to speak and of tongue. And then look how the Lord responded to him. He said, who has made man's mouth? 
Who makes him mute? Who or the deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. The first key here for us is to realize that God, he sees more in us than we see in ourselves. God sees more potential in your life right now than you could ever see in your life. God, he lays out here this plan for Moses, this great vision he has for God's people to save them from this continuing slavery in Egypt. He said, go to this king of Egypt and get my people released and then lead my people of Israel out to freedom. But Moses, we understand he was a very insecure person. He had a serious self-confidence problem. Oh, sure. Understand, God, he had this great idea of what he wanted to happen. But can't you just hear Moses listening to God, just looking for a way to get out of that situation? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring these Israelites out of Egypt? I've got to say throughout the Bible, when God gives vision to those who see it, they often have what? They have doubt. And they have questions about it. So really... There should be no surprises when the same thing happens in our life. When God, when he gives us a vision, we want to doubt. We want to question whether or not it's from God. Friends, beware of excuses in your life. Moses said, not me. I'm not fit to do it, God. Plus, I don't even know what I'm going to say to them. And I certainly don't have the authority to go in there and do this. Besides, I get nervous before people when I try to talk. And then all of a sudden Moses, he gets down to the bottom line of things. And he says, you know what? And truth be told, Lord, I really don't want to go. That's really what he was trying to say. I heard it once said, excuses are the nails used to build a house of failure. I pray that you're not building houses of failure in your life. I pray that you got that box of nails and you're going to throw them away. But how true it is. Friends, understand, God has a greater good for us, and God wants to use us in ways that will blow our mind. We're called to touch, to reach out to the world for Jesus. We're to be about transforming lives, about showing that red and yellow, black and white, yes, they are all precious in his sight. Could we, could we be the beginning of the end of prejudice in Cherryvale? Could we be used by God? Could we be used to change marriages, to save marriages, to reunite families, to erase emotional scars, to heal the hurting? Can God, will you allow God to use you just as you are? The second key I want to look at here is to remember. You need to remember who God is. And you need to remember that the job before us is huge. Look, as long as there's one person who's lost... We have a job to do. As long as there's one inactive member of First Baptist Church, we have a job to do. As long as there's one person not living the abundant life, we have a job to do. Look at verse 13 again. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Understand. A name. A name is something to invoke power. His name, God's name, is something that gives power over whatever it is you are doing. You see, Moses, what he was looking for here, he was looking for authority to go in and do what God was asking. Let me ask you, why is it that we do what we do? Why is it? Is it because we believe it's so? No, it's not. Is it because we have money or power or prestige? No, or at least it shouldn't be. Church, we serve in God's name, period. And just what is that name? Look at it again, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God's name, his name is Yahweh. In many ways it defies translation. It's beyond humanity. It's self-existent and it's eternal. Be sure you know God and be sure you understand the test that God has placed before you. We must also understand that we need to refuse to accept discouragement in our lives. There's times we try to do something and we all face doubt from time to time. When those voices, when they enter your head and they start whispering to you, oh, don't worry, it'll never work, don't even give it a shot. Are you kidding me? You're going to try this? You'll fail. You'll look like a fool. That's crazy. You, you're not good enough. You see, it's the same thing that Moses had to deal with in Exodus 4.1. Look what he said. He said, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. What he's basically saying here in this verse is this. They'll be looking for some objective proof of what I'm saying. Look, all of us, we can all think of reasons that we cannot or that we shouldn't serve God. Like, I'm too old. Or maybe I'm too young or too busy. Oh, I just don't know enough of the Bible. Someone else would be better at that than I would be. But understand, you see, as Christians, we're not called to be successful. The requirement for us is to be faithful. Don't be like Moses, who had this low self-image of himself. Therefore, what he had was really a low self-image of God. If we're going to act on our callings, we must refuse to accept discouragement. It's not a matter of what we can do. It's really a matter of what God can do. What is it that we typically do as human beings when we hear God's call? What do we do? We're tempted to do what? Make this mental list, right? Over here, we got all of these positive things, all the qualities of us that are good and holy and, and all of that, all of our assets, all of our abilities, they're going over here in the list. And then over here, we got the other list. We got all of those limitations, all of those liabilities, all of those reasons that we have that we can't be used by God. And we use those lists to decide if we can do what God has asked us to do. You see, all God wants to know is this. Will you depend on him. That's the bottom line. He doesn't need this list and this list. He just needs to know, are you depending on him? And if you will, understand God will do more work through you than you could ever imagine. You see, our potential for God is God's gift to us. What we do with that potential is our gift back to him. If our desire, if it is to go deep and wide in our relationship with God, we need to lose the excuses that we have, all those excuses that we're given, and we need to grab hold of the faith that we have in God. Our relationship with God, it grows as we're faithful to Him and as we act out in faith. We saw how God uses the insecure. I want to look at under number two. We're going to see how God uses the imperfect I remember a story one time. There was a man. He was in a motorcycle gang. He was dramatically converted over to Christ. The first Sunday after he got converted, he didn't know what else to do. So he did the only thing he could think of was he went to church. Now, nobody at the church knew him where he went. He walked down the center aisle, took a seat in the second pew from the front. All the church people did what we would probably do. They stared at him all the way in, all the way down. Because mm -hmm. he looked the part. He was big. He was burly. He was bearded. He had the long hair. He had the black leather jacket. He had the tattoos. When it came time for the announcements, the pastor, he got up and he made an appeal for some nursery workers. He said, we need someone to go work in the nursery. But no one volunteered. He asked a second time, he said, guys, we really need someone to go work with the kids in the nursery to be with them. 
but again, no one would volunteer. But then the cyclist, he gave one of those little popcorn prayers, said, Lord, if you want me to go and work with those kids in the nursery, I'll do what you want me to do. Just have the pastor ask a third time. Then it happened a third time the pastor made his appeal. He said, please, we need someone to go work in the nursery. The cyclist, he immediately raised his hand, nodded his head, and started off for the nursery. And immediately, 50 mothers followed him down the hallway, volunteering to work that morning. Have you ever really thought about the kind of people that God uses? Have you ever put any thought to that? What kind of person comes to mind when you think of a person that God uses? i got to ask you, does that biker, is that the kind of person that comes to mind? Maybe, but probably not, right? Or perhaps you see this preacher on TV. He's up there in his fancy white suit. He's in this big gaudy studio. And beside him says, always weeping wife, always crying, trying to plea out whatever she's trying to do. I mean, is that the kind of person that God uses? Who does God use? I'll tell you who God uses. God uses anyone he chooses. In fact, God, you see, he usually chooses to use the people that we wouldn't necessarily choose. We would disqualify them, but God says they're qualified in my book. You see, God tends to use the most unusual people, people that we would most likely reject. And one such person is someone that you and I, that we would have ignored, someone that we would have rejected is a woman named Rahab. Now, Rahab, she was a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho. But God, understand, he used her. He used a prostitute as part of his providential plan. In fact, if you look in the book of Hebrews, Rahab, she's even listed there in the book of Hebrews among the heroes of our faith. We find that in Hebrews eleven thirty one. Look what it says. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I want to take some time this morning. I'm going to look a little deeper into Rahab's story. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly to Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of the prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Let's jump down. I'm going to continue reading in verse 12. Now, this is after the soldiers leave. This is Rahab talking to the spies. She says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And then the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I stop there. After reading her story, I think we can clearly say that with no uncertainty, you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. We see in the Bible that Rahab, she's a woman that's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab was a woman that was utilized in a mighty way in God's plan. I did mention, right, that Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute, a lady of the night, a Jezebel, a loose woman. Rahab, she was not one that we would call respectable or even acceptable in any society by any standards. However, 
Rahab's unacceptable behavior didn't keep her from being used by God. In fact, it was because of Rahab that the spies of Joshua, they were able to go into the city, go into Jericho undetected, and obtain the vital data that was needed for them to destroy the city and destroy the wall. Let's look at just how God used what many of us today, what we would call a nobody, to put his plan into motion Now, Rahab, understand, she was not a high priestess. She was not even anywhere in the royal lineage. She was not of great wealth. She was not very educated. She was a woman who had simply heard of this great God that we serve, and she decided that she wanted to do the same thing. Her hardness had melted when she heard of God's greatness. And because of her newfound faith, she was able to convince her family and to encourage them enough to hide these spies, to not reveal them to the king's men. Rahab had enough faith to believe that these men, that they would indeed allow her and her family to be spared when they would conquer the city. Friends, each of us, each of us has a little Rahab in us. Understand, none of us, no one here, we are not exactly where God wants us to be in our life right now. Some of us have things in our past, things we actually feel they will prohibit God from loving us. They'll prohibit God from using us. Truth is, each of us, we, we all have fallen short at some time or another. Maybe that time in your life is right now. You're falling short right now in your life. However, just know this. Those actions, they won't preclude us, any of us, from being used by God, from obtaining His grace and being used in His perfect plan. God can use anyone. He can use anything to obtain His end result. If God, if He can make a rock sing out in praise to Him, surely He has the ability to use these broken vessels of ours for His glory. Understand, friends, God, He can use the Rahab that is in each and every one of us. There's probably some here, you refuse to step out in faith. You just won't do it because you're afraid that, oh, look at my past. And my past, you think it will not allow you to succeed. You think all you can do is fail. You're oftentimes afraid to even attempt anything. You're afraid to take anything on, any of God's challenges, out of fear of not succeeding. But understand, God's Word, it teaches us He uses who? Who does God use? He uses the ordinary people. Now, if, if you're extraordinary, raise your hand. I've got to say, I look over this and I look at myself. We're all just ordinary people. And that's who God uses. God simply wants you to be open to His will. He needs you to be receptive to His way. He's asking you to let Him work in you. Asking Him to let the Rahab in you out to do His will. God uses your imperfections. He uses your limitations. He uses those to exemplify His omnipotence. What am I trying to say? I know I've used some big words there. It's very simple. It's this. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. But you must be willing. None of us are perfect. But in our imperfect state, God, He can use each and every one of us. He looks past those reasons that may have caused others to avoid you. He sees something much more precious than you than what others observe. Friends, we must understand it's not about who we think we are. It's not about how others, how everybody else sees us in their eyes. It's about God's great grace working in each and every one of our lives. With Christ in our lives, our messed up past, it cannot cripple us. Our troubled background, it can no longer disable us. Our sins, they can no longer trip us up. Once we accept Christ, once we put Him as the head of our lives, His gift of salvation is given over to us. Our surrender enables us 
to be used by Him. Because God, He can use our brokenness. God, He can use the Rahab in each and every one of us. We saw how God uses the insecure. Then we saw how God uses the imperfect. We're going to close this morning looking at one more example. It's how God uses the unlikely. No one, no one at all was more unlikely than this man named Saul. Let's read about it. Let's turn to Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. I've got to tell you, every time I read that story, I'm amazed at the great grace of our God. I see the Lord take this man Saul and save him through his grace and transform him into one of the greatest apostles to the Gentiles. And then I realize, guess what? There's hope for people like you and me. The truth is, there was never a more unlikely candidate for service to the Lord than this man named Saul. He was a man who was feared. He was hated by all the Christians of his day. He did anything and everything in his power to destroy the name of Jesus. Yet, God, he reached down from heaven by his grace and he took this man. He took him from where he was and he changed him to change the world. Just that fact today that we're talking about him, we're talking about his life, we're talking about the impact that he had on the world is a testimony to the way that God used him then and God still uses him today. When we look at Paul, we're tempted to think, well, Paul, man, no, I can't be like him. He was some kind of super saint making us feel like, man, there's no possible way. There's nothing we can do. God can't use me. He wouldn't, I mean, look at Paul and look at me. God can never use me at all. I suppose we all feel unfairier at times. We all feel unworthy to be used for God's work. But friends, I'm here to tell you today, Jesus can and he will use you if, if you'll make yourself available. Look, many of us question, can God, can he really use my life? Can he use me? I mean, look at my past. Look what I've done. The short answer, friend, is this. God can use your life. And we're going to quickly look at the obstacles that seem to be in the way of Paul's service to God. Obstacles that we need to understand that God, he had no problem in overcoming by his power and by his grace. Let's look at why I can say God can. The first one is just like Paul. Your past condition is no obstacle to God. Look at verse 1 again. It said, but Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now, listen to this. According to Paul's own testimony here, he was guilty of doing everything in his power to put Christianity to death. Look how Paul put it later on in Acts 22.4. He said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And then in Acts 26.10, look what else he says. He says, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Then in 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 13, he says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but 
I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord God overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I've got to tell you, friends, every one of us in here is a sinner. And we could all probably say, just like Paul, we're the chief sinner in this room. Paul tells us about his past here. Paul was a murderer. He was a rebel against the Lord Jesus. Religiously, he was as wicked a man as ever walked the face of this earth. The Bible indicates here that Saul gave his approval to the murder of Stephen. That was in Acts 7.58. He said, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Paul was a wicked man when he was Saul, but this proved to be no obstacle to the grace and the saving power of the Lord. When Paul, when he received salvation through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he became chained forever by the grace of God. Friends, understand, your past is no obstacle to your future work for the Lord. Regardless of what you did, before you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter. It matters no longer. It's done. When he saved you, he washed all that past away forever. It's a new birth. It's a new life. It's a new start in your life. It's like you draw a line in the sand and you walk over it and the waves come in and wash it all away. And it's pristine again. Look how God, throughout the Bible, he used so many people in spite of and after their greatest failures. The most notable one's probably Simon Peter, right? He preached his greatest message and had his greatest ministry after he had denied the Lord three times. Moses, we talked about him, he was a murderer, yet God used him for his glory. Samson sinned against God, yet he slew more Philistines in the end of his life than he did his entire ministry. Abraham lied, yet he was used by God. Jacob was a deceiver, yet the Lord transformed him and used him greatly. I mean, there are many others that we could go through and we could name among these, but I think you get the idea here. It's this. If you failed in the past, he can still use you for his glory today and in the future. Next, I want to look at how your present circumstances are no obstacle. Things that are happening right now, understand they're no surprise to God. Paul was on his way to Damascus to find and arrest more Christians, and then he wanted to take them to their death. He was filled with and wanted nothing more than to completely destroy anyone and anything that was connected with this man named Jesus. Yet in spite of all of this, the Lord was able to change him, change this man, change his heart, and use him for his own glory. Just know, friends, he can do the same thing in your life and in mine. He can take us. Take us with all of our baggage. Take us with all of our past. Every, all that stuff that we carry around that we say, God can't use me because of this or that. And he can let that all go away. And he can use us for his glory. Look, we all bring certain liabilities to the table. Some of us are uneducated. Others have few resources. Some are weak in their faith. Others are arrogant and filled with pride. However, I would like to remind you, the Lord's able to take us from exactly where we are right now and he changes us. He'll change what needs to be changed to allow him to use us in a great way. Church, what I'm trying to get you to see this morning is this. It's your present circumstances didn't catch the Lord by surprise. What's happening in your life right now is exactly what God expected to happen. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows where you are. He knows what you do. And he still can use your life if, if it's yielded to him for his glory. 
The secret lies in putting Romans 12, 1 and 2 into practice. Look what it says. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to close this morning looking at one last thing, how your private concerns are no obstacle to God. I want to read you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 9. It says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, like Paul, you may look upon yourself as being weak, as being unable to do much for the cause of Christ. However, understand, the truth is, God doesn't need us to be strong. He doesn't need us to even be able to stand up on our own two feet. He needs us to be weak. He wants us, He needs us to be totally dependent upon Him and upon His power working in our lives. God isn't looking for these spiritual powerhouses to move the world with. He's looking for people who have nothing more than faith and a desire to cling to the Lord Jesus. Some of you may fight depression. Others may battle loneliness. Some fight against the feelings of inferiority. Some keep their wickedness of the days gone by. They keep it constantly going through their head before their eyes. Some of you feel so inadequate to do the Lord's work. Whatever name your personal particular weaknesses may carry, understand it may be an obstacle to you if you allow it to be. However, to the Lord, your problem, your obstacle is nothing. He can overcome it like that. He can take you in the midst of your weakness and He can still use you in a mighty, mighty way. He can take your life and He can make it an inspiration to everyone who comes into contact with you. The secret lies in one word and it's a word that many of us struggle with. It's that word surrender. Surrender your life to Him. Are you totally surrendered to the Lord today and to His will for your life? Let me close with this. Can God use me? It's a question we all ask. Can God use your life? Friend, yes. Yes, He can. However, it must first be His to use. Are you really saved? I mean, you're not just good. You're not baptized. You don't just come to church. You're not a church member or whatever. But are you truly saved? Does your life show it? Are you fully surrendered? Is your absolute all, have you laid it out on the altar to Jesus? Or are you holding something back in your life? You see, friends, everything must be His. You've got to be all in to God's kingdom. Are you available for Him to use? That is, is your life, is it so cluttered up with everything that you want to do that there's nowhere for the Lord. There's nowhere for Him to get into your life and to use you for His glory. Then finally, think about this. Are you willing to be used by the Lord? Understand this. He won't force you to serve Him. He may make you wish you would have served Him in the end, but you know what? He will never force anyone into doing anything for Him. You come to this place where you're willing to do what the Lord wants you to do, and He'll use you. 
for his glory. I can tell you, if you answered no to any of these questions, then understand the Lord, he can't use you yet. He's not ready to use you until those things can be taken care of, until you take care of those things by his grace. I challenge every person in this room this morning, everyone that's listening in to the podcast we're going to put out, examine yourself, examine your heart, and do the thing that you need, know that you need to do. Do it right now. Friends, let's strive to get to that place in our life where the Lord can and the Lord will use each and every one of us, use our lives for His great glory. Will you do that today? Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed. And thanks again for listening to the Cherryville First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast and have a blessed day.